Hello and welcome to the Power on the Key podcast. I'm your host, Neil Winterton, and joining me on the line as it does every week, it's Ben Cad. How are you, Caddy? Going well, we know, just back from the mighty MCG where we took the kids and watched Collingwood get done by uh, a point there. So a familiar tale for the season, unfortunately, for you, Caddy. Yeah, it was a disappointing drive home to the car, but the wife's a... Uh, I don't know, she's become a Port Adelaide supporter somewhere in the last 10 years. So How the bloody hell like, did you let that happen? <laughs> she had the scarf on anyway, so she enjoyed the uh, enjoyed the, the victory. But no, beautiful day out in uh, sunny Melbourne today. Yeah, probably the last one of the last good ones we'll get for the year, so we did have to take advantage of it. Now, finally, Caddy, we, we've reached the, the point in the season where the playoffs actually kicked off today, so we're just going to run through the eight playoff matches and give our predictions of how we think those series might shape out. But before we jump into that, we obviously saw the play-in tournament or play-in games, if you want to call it that, uh, happen over the last few days to uh, to decide the seventh, seventh and eighth seeds in both conference. Now, there were five games, three, three of them were blowouts. Two were really good games, obviously led firstly by the the Lakers versus uh, Golden State, where uh, game where we saw LeBron hit the hit the big three, where he claimed he was uh, similar to Rocky Balboa, where he was seeing three of them out there, so he decided to hit the one in the middle. He's uh, he loves a bit of drama, LeBron, but that was obviously a fantastic game. And then of course the the last game to decide the the eighth seed in the West, where we saw uh, Memphis upset uh, Golden State uh, in overtime. So. Uh, go, going off that, Caddy, did you think it was a, a success, this playing sort of games? Um, do you think it was a success based on the fact that we had the Lakers play Golden State and that was, I think, one of the most highest-rating games we've seen for a couple of seasons? Do you think if, if it had been sort of two, let's say, I don't know, Golden State played Sacramento, do you think it would have built up quite as much hype and we would have looked at this as a bit of, not a disaster, but a bit, a bit of a failure given that there were sort of three blowouts? Yeah, look, probably. I think the fact, obviously, we got that Golden State Lakers game in there on the second night, um, yeah, drew you know so much attention to it all, and having uh, Steph Curry back playing against LeBron again was fantastic. And the game itself was, um, you know, was of the highest quality, a real playoff type of atmosphere in, in that game. So, you know, the, as you mentioned, the shot that LeBron hit to, to win it was, you know, really better by the shot Steph Curry hit just at the half time, which was just incredible as well. So we certainly got value for our money watching that. But yeah, I think you know most of the other games were pretty. Pretty mediocre, I suppose. Like Charlotte, really just didn't turn up that initial night, and you know that was really a, a bit of a theme. Very for disappointing, last... wasn't it? Very disappointing. Yeah, look, they were on a real slide the last, you know, probably week or two of the season, and you know, just without having Gordon Haywood playing and Lamelo Ball obviously come back in, but pretty late into the scene. Yeah, they were pretty much burnt out and and pretty happy to go home by the by the way they played. They were just playing out straight away in that first quarter. So, I mean, that that's probably the peril of the plane. You, you're going to get potentially some ordinary games. You know, the other risk is you know you you, you get the upset where you know a, a good seventh seed you know has the risk of falling out altogether. I don't think we probably had that, albeit Golden State missing out, but I don't think they were by any stretch a, a, a way better team than Memphis or anything during the season. So I don't think there was. A huge upset that's happened and the team's made it that probably shouldn't have. I think the fact that Washington have been able to make their way through it, you know, probably gives the players some credibility because they were a team that obviously had a lot of adversity through the first half of the season and were able to build their way back up at the back end. And, you know, if the play-in wasn't around, you know, they might have had every reason to sort of, you know, put the cue in the rack and, and head to the bottom of the, the conference rather than trying to um, fight back like they, they, like they did. And now they're they their way into a playoff matchup, so that's I think the benefit of the the playing system. Uh, the playing system, um, I think you know that we're always going to be at risk of getting some some potentially ordinary games or ordinary teams like like we kind of did in a sense with Charlotte in particular. You know, Indiana in the end, 
just weren't good enough. But no, I think we've, I think all in all, it was, it was a, a success. Yeah, I think given the circumstances of this year, and you meant you highlighted Washington there, that they're the perfect test case for this, if you will, because as you said, they face so much adversity with some health and safety protocols. So to have to have the playing tournament come in this year, I think was the perfect timing for it. And I, you would think it's probably going to continue to. To, to happen going forward, you'd imagine, unless there's a really big kick up from the owners about them not wanting it to happen. But I think it's a success. You got two really good games, and yeah, as you said, you're probably bound to get a couple of stinkers, and we got that. But I think it was sort of offset by the fact that we got a couple of really good games. So we'll jump uh, straight into the West uh, with our predictions. Now we'll start with the first uh, seeded Utah against that eight seeded Memphis Grizzlies. Now they obviously defeated Golden State in overtime, one seventeen to one twelve, and Jar Morant come up massive in, in in that game, didn't he? With the thirty five six and six, with 15, 15 of those coming in the fourth quarter in overtime, and he was he was just getting into the lane, that little floater or little push shot of his. I reckon he hit sort of three or four of those in that fourth quarter slash overtime period. So he was massive to get them across the line in what was probably a little bit of an upset. Set. So throughout the year, they played each other three times, and Utah were three and zero in the season series. Now I don't know how much sort of weight that holds, given the availability of players right throughout the season. For you, Caddy, what, what matchup uh, do you see as the key in the series? Yeah, look, I, I, I still look at Jaron Jackson Jr. As, as a guy I think is really, really important. It's going to have to play well to, to give Memphis any chance, I suppose, to, to overcome you know the, the overall strength of Utah if he can. And come up big. He only played the 15 minutes in that last game, which was a bit of a, a interesting one because I thought he played pretty well in that first playing game to get him into that game against Golden State. So the 15 minutes was a concern. So I'm not sure if he picked up an injury or anything, or whether it was. I know he was in foul trouble for a period, but you want to see more out of him to be able to you know have another another really strong body to bash it. Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors. Um, so I think Jaron Jackson's quite important for Memphis. And look, I, I think at the end of the day, you know that Rudy Gobert, Jonas Valanciunas can. I think that's a matchup that's probably good for Utah. It means Gobert's going to be able to stay on the court probably more often than not if um, Memphis play uh, Jonas at the at the five uh, for for longer stretches. So I think that's a really key matchup in this one. Obviously, you know we're going to get the the two star guards with John Morant and Devin um, Donovan Mitchell. So that'll be obviously the, the the big talking point. But I'm probably more interested of what's going to be happening inside the paint on this one. I was going to ask you just on this as well. Obviously, Utah had the number one seed. Do you think there was any disadvantage? For them having to wait so long to, you know, inevitably find out what their matchup was going to be, they, you know, you obviously finish on top. You've been rewarded, you know, to have the number one seed, but in the end, you've had to wait the longest to actually see who you're going to play um, in that eight spot, and then potentially the disadvantage of not having enough time to plan, as opposed to some of these other teams. Yeah, I think you could certainly argue that. I mean, it probably benefited them in the fact that they had Donovan Mitchell with that injury, so it's given him a little bit more time to to get healthy. And I'll talk about him. Uh, in a little bit, but uh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, the, t- the teams want to really, when you get into these playoff series, they want to really, you know, bunker down and scout the team as much as possible. And, and as you said, some of these other teams have known their matchups for the last week, so they've been able to dissect as much film as they want. Whereas, you know, Utah are only going to have a couple of days, so you could certainly argue that uh, that they will have that they will be disadvantaged by that. But and then you could sort of argue that you know, uh, Memphis have had to go through two really tough games. They might be a little bit sort of. Not not just mentally, uh, sort of physically uh, fatigued, but also mentally fatigued as well. So, I mean, the proof will be in the pudding, I suppose. But you could certainly argue that it, you can be disadvantaged. I agree with you. I thought I think the key matchup for this series is Valanciunas versus Gobert. Now, there was probably question marks about whether both of these guys would be able to stay on the floor during the playoffs, more so Valanciunas, you'd imagine, than Gobert. But I think this matchup allows both of them to play good, healthy minutes, as you said there. It allows certainly Gobert to stay out there 
Um, and, and he'll obviously guard Valanchunas, and the same with Valanchunas. So, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. Obviously, uh, Gobert's a much uh, better defender than Valanchunas. Valanchunas, is, he's, a, he's had an underrated season when you look at his numbers, at 17.2 points a game and the 12.5 rebounds. And if he can sort of break he's break even at least with Gobert, you know, it sort of gives it gives Memphis a sort of a fighting chance. But if he if he can't if he really struggles to score and, and Gobert can lock him up, well we know that Memphis can struggle to put points on the board. So they're they're gonna need those points from Valachunas. So I, I really do think it's it will be a key matchup. And you mentioned there about Jaron Jackson Jr. as well. So, you know, maybe will Memphis try and go small play uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. at the five, try and drag Gobert away from the paint and try and make him a bit uncomfortable. I'm going to be really interested to see, you know, how, how that centre position does shape out in this series. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, as we go into the to the next match as well, the two and seven, I think, you know, I'm going to be touching on those bigs again. I think it's going to be quite fascinating. We talk about, you know, it's become a small man's game or, you know, more versatile perimeter players that are obviously the, so important. But I think during this playoffs in particular, we're going to see a bit of a throwback to, to how important some of these big centres are going to be for their teams. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I'm fascinated to see how, how these – it might be match-up dependent, I suppose, on, on how much you see these bigs out on the floor. But, you know, certainly in this series, you'd expect to see some good healthy minutes from both Valentinus and Gobert. So what we're going to do when we when we get into this series is talk about our key matchups for the series and the biggest question that we've got uh, for, for each series. And the biggest question for me is – and I mentioned him earlier – is how healthy is Donovan Mitchell? So he's missed the last 16 games – um, he did. He did sort of come out uh, throughout the week in the press and say that his ankle injury was probably a little bit worse than what was made out to be. So whether he's playing a bit of cat and mouse, I'm not too sure. But he, he was on a real he was on a real roll uh, post All Star break, averaging just under the, a tick under thirty points a game. And he's such a he's such a big piece for for Utah for their offense. So we, they need him. Maybe not in this series. I'm sure they can probably. Uh, squeak by in this series with without a hundred percent healthy Donovan Mitchell, but certainly going forward, if they want to go as far as as obviously they want to do, they've obviously got championship aspirations, being the number one seed in the West. They need a fully healthy Donovan Mitchell. So I'm really interested to see how healthy that that ankle is. You know, he, he's he's going to have a, a tough matchup right throughout this series. You'd reckon they're going to put a lot of pressure on him right from the start. So he's he's not going to have it easy. Dylan Brooks is a really pesky defender. He's going to be up in his face as he was against Steph Curry. So I'm really interested, and I think the biggest question mark for me is how healthy is Donovan Mitchell in this series. Absolutely, and I think you know Utah would really be hoping they can you know make pretty light work of Memphis if they're if they're fair dinkum, and then at least try and you know get an extra potentially week off in between that second round matchup depending on uh, on how the other uh, games sort of end up. So I think for them, if they can you know get through comfortably, get another break and get um, some more rest and recovery into Donovan Mitchell, you know, it's going to be really important. They have, you know, have claims of wanting to go really, really deep in this, this playoff. So yeah, absolutely hugely important, Donovan Mitchell and his fitness. Um, look, I'm interested to see, you know, just Joe ja- ja Moran on this big stage. I think we've got a, a bit of an idea of, the sort of talent this guy's got in the um, that playing game just that finished um, against the Golden State Warriors. He was huge, as you mentioned, down the stretch in the regulation and then again in overtime. So to put up 35 points in a game of such significance is a really good start for his postseason career, and I'm really excited to see how he can um, adapt to the to the bigger stage and more scrutiny on him. He, you know, they're often out of sight, out of mind a little bit Memphis, so they're not going to have too many places to hide once they start this playoff series against Utah. So I'm Not so much it's an interesting point, but more just um, the excitement that I think we're going to have watching him, you know, hopefully for many, many years in the postseason. 
Yeah, so what we've seen of him so far in his short NBA career, he doesn't seem to be someone who's going to shirk or he's not going to be a shrinking violet, is he, in the in the big moments. Obviously, a big game in that in that playing game. So he's going to be someone who I think will relish a game like this, even though you said, you know, they don't get a, a lot of exposure, the Grizzlies. And, and, and truthfully, they're probably still not going to get a lot of exposure in this matchup. You can't imagine that this... Many of these games, probably not if any, are going to be on TNT or ESPN. They'll probably be tucked away on NBA TV. So he's probably not going to get a lot of national recognition, even if he does have a big series. But, yeah, I'm really interested to see as well how Morant does go in this in this first round uh, matchup. I think, interestingly, there was a stat that came out after that they won yesterday that they're the youngest uh, team to qualify in the playoffs since OKC back in the first time Westbrook and Durant and those and Harden got together and, and qualify for the final. So it's a real feather in, in Memphis's cap that they can do this. So Morant's only in his second season. Jaron Jackson Jr. is in his third, I believe. So uh, to have a team so young um, qualify for, for the playoffs is a real feather in, in Memphis's cap. Ultimately, I, I, I think this is obviously going to be a very one-sided series, series as you'd expect, with the, the 1v8 matchup. I almost was going to give Memphis a game, but in the end, I, I, I think it'll be a sweep. I've, I've tipped Utah uh, 4-0 in a sweep. What did you settle on, Caddy, for your prediction? Yeah, definitely I was leading towards the, the sweep, but I just, yeah, with that little bit of concern around Mitchell's fitness, I'll give Memphis one game um, that they can steal. Probably game three at home will be the one, and um, I'll have it 4-1 going Utah's way and comfortably through to the second round. Yeah, you'd obviously expect that to happen. Whether it's four zero or four one, you'd you'd be you'd be very surprised. Well, I certainly would be uh, if it did end up going to to at least a sixth game. So we'll now move on to the two seated Phoenix Suns versus the seven seated Los Angeles Lakers. And geez, you you got to feel sorry for Phoenix, don't you? Uh, after you know they've missed the playoffs for so many years, they have a fantastic season. Chris Paul comes to the to their team and and lifts them up. Monty Williams has been fantastic as a coach. They figure everything out. And then they draw, they draw the, the defending champion Lakers, who have obviously had a, a torrid time themselves with with plenty of injuries. And there's there's got to obviously be some question marks about the health of certainly LeBron James and, and a little bit about Anthony Davis as well. But what a nightmare of a matchup for Phoenix Suns. As I said, you've got to feel really sorry for them uh, leading into this series. But uh, jumping into this series for me, I thought the, the key matchup was DeAndre Ayton versus Anthony Davis. Now, Anthony Davis is one of the hardest matchups in basketball. He can score in the post. He can take you out to the three-point line and shoot the three. He can shoot from mid-range. He can take you off the dribble. He's an elite defender. He, he can do absolutely everything on the basketball court. Now, DeAndre Ayton, obviously a former number one pick. You know, I've said a couple of times throughout this, this season how impressed I've been with him, um, not demanding a lot of shots. He's been happy to take a back seat on the offensive end and concentrate a little bit on more on the defensive end, which had probably been a little bit of a question mark for him heading into this season. And he's certainly improved in that area, but he's going to have his workout cut out against him, isn't he, coming up against Anthony Davis. And I'm not sure he's going to be able to do a great, great job if I'm being truthfully honest, but if he doesn't, they're in real trouble because the, the backup bigs they've got are Dario Saric and Frank Kaminsky. Now, those guys have got absolutely no chance whatsoever of, of stopping Anthony Davis. So you'd expect Davis is going to be in for a massive uh, series here. Um, as I said, there's got to be some sort of uh, query about his health. His health. He, he was very ordinary in the first half against Golden State. Now, a lot of obviously LeBron was as well, and, and Dennis Schroeder, and, and a lot of the a lot of his teammates did struggle in that first half, and he was much better in the second half. So. Yeah, I'm I'm interested in in that uh, in that matchup. Aiton has to at least sort of show up and and give something to, to Phoenix on the defensive end and certainly on the offensive end as well. If if he comes out and lays an egg, this could be a very short series. 
Yeah, and I'm, I'm focused on that offensive end for Aiden. I think, you know, defensively, there's, you know, he's really strong in that area, but Davis is probably going to have his way most of the time and, you know, still put up the big numbers. So I think what we're going to need to see from Aiden is, you know, some really offensive power and, and, and helping this Phoenix team. So we obviously know there's going to be a lot of reliance on Devin Booker, Chris Paul, uh, Bridges as well. So I think if Aiden can come in and score the 15, 18 points a game, potentially that's going to be really, really important to help, you know, spread the load there uh, for Phoenix. I'll, I thought it was quite interesting in that uh, playing game for the Lakers against the Warriors, just to sort of see how they were going to uh, put this rotation together. And I know that the Golden State Warriors certainly aren't that strong, in particularly in the big man department. So I did find it interesting. Marcus Isle was a, a DNP, didn't play. Uh, we had just the 17 minutes for Andre Drummond, Montrez Harrell, just the 10 minutes as well. So yeah, Harrell did, didn't play at all in the second half, I don't think. Yeah, so you had these all these centers basically sitting there on the bench, the three of them, Drummond. Harold and Gazol. I think, you know, they're gonna have probably a bit more work to do against Aiden. They can share that load, they can just keep throwing bodies at him. They've got obviously plenty of fouls between them they can they can chew up. So um I, I thought it was interesting to see how, you know, that big man lineup sort of took place in that playing game and as I said, you know, the Golden State Warriors certainly don't scare you too much with they're bigs, but um, I think, you know, we're going to need a bit more, particularly out of Drummond. I think he'll get more opportunity in this series, you know, and then I, I thought the guy that really stepped up for them in this game uh, was Caruso. So he, he he played really, really well, gave him plenty of energy off the bench, 30 minutes he ended up playing. And I think he's going to have a pretty key role, shadowing Devin Booker for a fair period of the, this playoff series. So uh, he was sort of the guy they, they leaned to in this match. And I, I, I think if he can stay on the floor as well in the playoffs, that'll be a guy... Um, you know, might get plenty of minutes as well just to, to sort of share that defensive load, particularly on Devin Booker. So that's probably the other area I'm you know, keen, to, keen to have a look at. I think Schroeder and Paul will go pretty much head-to-head, the former teammates. So they'll um, be busy guarding each other. And then, you know, Caruso, Caldwell Pope sort of sharing the, the job on Booker. Um, and then, yeah, as I said, the, the amount of bigs that the Lakers have up their sleeve to throw against Aiton, it's going to be really up to Aiton to, to, to prove he's number one draft pick credentials and, and really step up, as I said, potentially, uh, predominantly on that offensive end. Yeah, we saw him average the 18 points a game last year, so he's certainly capable of doing that when required. So I agree. It's, there's a lot of bodies, a lot of centres. I, I I can't see a lot of the centres playing. You know, Gasol's probably just going to be used match-up dependent. Maybe if they come up against a Jokic or something at some stage. Or, you know, And as I said, Montrezl Harrell didn't even play in the second half against Golden State. And I think you mentioned him last week in the sixth man of the year award. I think you voted him third. And I said last week, I'm really surprised to see how many minutes he does get throughout the playoffs because I had a bit of a question mark about how much time he might get and if the Golden State game was any indication his, his numbers might be trimmed not his minutes sorry might be trimmed quite a bit um, and yeah you mentioned Dennis Schroeder and Chris Paul the former teammates so that 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 would also be a very interesting match up and Schroeder was very ordinary if we're being honest against Golden State so he certainly needs to lift to to be able to go he's not going to be a match Chris Paul you'd imagine but at least sort of make uh, Chris Paul's life as difficult as possible the biggest question mark for me in this series is can Phoenix's defense hold up now you look at their numbers and on face value it appears pretty good they finished ninth for the season in defense but you dig a little bit deeper in their last 15 games they were the 26th ranked defense so they fell off the further the season went and look the Lakers aren't a strong uh, offensive team we know that they obviously rely very heavily on LeBron James to to get them into their sets and Anthony Davis to put some points up and after those two, they can sort of it can sort of dry up a little bit. But I'm going to be interested to see how Phoenix defend the Lakers. Do they throw everything at 
at uh, LeBron and Davis and, and see and try and see if their secondary players can beat them? Or do they take it the other way and try and limit the, the secondary players as much as possible, make sure, you know, Corwell Pope and Kuzma and these guys and Caruso aren't, aren't sort of hurting him too much and say to LeBron and Davis, you guys try and beat us by yourselves. If you see, you know, they'll have to average sort of 30 to 35 if they can sort of limit those secondary players. So I'm really interested to see how Phoenix do handle the, uh, the Lakers defensively. As I said, the, the, the numbers have dropped off uh, a lot in the last 15 games. They're going to have to really pick up on the defensive end and get back to the way they defended for the first half of the year, which is really good. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for me, I'm interested in the Phoenix Suns side of things as well. And it's just that inexperience. They've waited so long to get here. Devin Booker in particular, you know, he's been really almost shamed over the years for being such a good scorer and a bad team, doesn't contribute to winning. Now he's got his opportunity. And as you said, they really lucked out in the sense you know, finishing second, which was an incredible result, and then having to play the Lakers. But look, I, I think hopefully they're going to be up for it. They've um, you know had, a, had plenty of rest here over last week to to really steal themselves with the opportunity. But, you know, it, it is going to be hard. Home court advantage, you know, interesting to see what sort of capacity they can get into that building, but that's going to be really, really important for them to try and hold home court where they can and, and really defend that as stoutly as possible. So, um, yeah, I'm just interested to see how they stand up to the, the playoff pressure. We know Chris Ball's been there plenty of times, but, you know, for Booker, for Bridges, for Aiton, you know, this is their real first opportunity to to put make a name on the stage, and hopefully they're they're prepared and, and ready and up for it. So, how did you end up prediction wise? For me, I, I've certainly got some question marks over the Lakers. As I said, LeBron, he looked very he looked very ordinary for LeBron standards anyway in the first half of that Golden State game. Now he was obviously much better in the in the second half and lift, lifted his play and looked a lot more energetic and had a bit more lift. Uh, on him, but there's still got to be a, pre- a pretty strong question mark, I reckon, about how healthy he's going to be, and yeah, and, and just only a slight one about Anthony Davis. He's obviously been bla- back playing a little bit more. So based on the fact that you know certainly LeBron, obviously the most important player, has a little bit of a question mark. I could see this being a bit of a troubling series for the Lakers. Ultimately, ended up going for the Lakers uh, four games to two, so to get to six games, uh, they'll probably close it out at home in the sixth game. What about you? Do, you? do you give Phoenix any chance, or do you think it's probably going to be a bit of a comfortable series for the Lakers? No, I'll give them a chance, absolutely. I think, you know, particularly if they can get the jump these first two games at home in particular, get out to a 2-0 start. We know the Lakers have had to obviously play that extra game. You know, and they're also, you know, still slowly trying to work James and Davis back in. So I think the opportunity is there early on in the series, particularly for Phoenix to get out of the gate, come out with some real enthusiasm and, and try and put them to the sword in those first couple of games. I think inevitably the Lakers will get there. I'm going to pick the Lakers in seven and, and to win on the Phoenix home floor in, the, in that last game. So that's where I see the uh, this series going. Game one's massive in this series, I reckon, more so than probably any than any other series. We know LeBron traditionally likes to have that feel-out game and he's dropped a lot of game ones in the past and gone on to... Sometimes he sweeps the series but certainly wins them after losing game one. But you'd imagine if Phoenix lose game one at home... You, there's got to be some serious doubts start creeping in. So I reckon it's a must-must win for Phoenix in Game 1. Now we'll move on to the next series, which actually had Game 1 today. So that's the third-seeded Denver Nuggets versus the sixth-seeded Portland Trailblazers. As I mentioned, Game 1 was today, and Portland prevailed 123-109. to What was the biggest matchup uh, for you going into this series, and obviously maybe even what you took out of today? Yeah, well, I mean, the result was interesting in itself. I think, you know, they were largely pretty much untroubled, uh, Portland, in this one. They got out, got the jump in that first quarter and, and looked really positive and strong. And it was Denver then on the back foot pretty much from the word go. So, look, again, I, I'm staying big here. It's, it's, not, it's obviously Jokic who we're thinking is going to be the MVP 
for the season. And it's just how, you know, he's got a pretty, you know, Portland have a pretty good body there in, in, in Nurkic who can, we, you know, we think he can at least physically go with him. And, and if he can sort of, you know, try and limit uh, Jokic's probably passing so much, you know, we, we know he's going to be playing, you know, in the 40 minutes a game. So he's going to, he'll get his points. And they, all these star players generally do in the playoffs. But it's just limiting, I think, his playmaking, being really strong up in his face, wearing him down as best as possible. And I think he is obviously off to a good start today. Nurkic, he played the 33 minutes. He scored the 16 points, 12 rebounds. So that's a that's a really good start. Obviously, you know, Jokic has gone big as well, 34 points and 16 rebounds in 35 minutes. So I think, obviously, that's the clear matchup for me is, you know, Jokic and how effective he can be um, all the way through a series. And obviously, Portland now with the head start, they won his first game away. Um, it really gives them that momentum. Um, we only saw the 15 minutes out of Ennis Cantor today, as I, we mentioned in when we were doing a bit of a preview on the playoffs earlier, you know, we, we did make the point about Nurkic. If he can stay healthy, stay on the court, it, it does take away that reliance on Portland having to play um, too many minutes with Ennis Cancer at the centre, particularly in a matchup against Nikola Jokic. Yeah, I, mate, I totally agree. That that was the, the biggest matchup for me as well. As you said, obviously Nikola Jokic, the presumptive presumptive MVP of the season. H- how much could Nurkic sort of slow him down and? You know, he got yeah. You got to say he's got off to a reasonable start. You you ran through the numbers there. I thought the most interesting thing for me was we've seen Jokic be such a good distributor for for uh, Denver right throughout the season. He only had the one assist, and and Nurkic had the five assists. So you would have got pretty long odds about Nurkic having five times the amount of assists uh, of Jokic. You would have got decent money about him having more assists. Uh, full stop. Let alone one assist to five. So it's interesting that you know maybe a Den- Denver are going with this strategy of. Okay, Jokic, we'll let you get your points, but we're going to shut off all your passing lanes. We know how unselfish he likes to be and get his teammates involved. Now, if they can, if they can do that as much as possible and limit the the amount of assists that Jokic can pile up, it's obviously going to go a long way uh, towards Portland Portland winning this series. So, uh, yeah, I, I totally agree that that's the that's the biggest matchup that I was interested in. The biggest question for me though was, can Denver's guards contain? Uh, Portland's guards. Obviously, Portland have two really good guards in Lillard and McCollum. Lillard averaged nearly the 29 points a game for the season. McCollum at just over 23. Now, at the moment, uh, Denver have Barton, PJ Dozier and Jamal Murray all out injured. So, you know, a a lot of work's going to fall onto Austin Rivers and and Campazzo and the evidence after today's game would suggest they're going to struggle. Now, Lillard was massive having the 34 points, but importantly, the 13 assists and a lot of those assists led to three-point makes as well. So he was getting into the lane and, and firing it out to the three-point shooters. And importantly, they were obviously knock, knocking it down. Anthony Simons went fourth and five from downtown. Carmelo Anthony had one of those games that he can sort of jump up and have every now and then. He hit the four of eight from downtown. So th- th- they were on fire from three. And, and with Lillard's ability to get into the paint and hit these open shooters, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be really, really difficult for Denver to contain these guards, given the injuries they had. And then you also look at the offensive end. Now, Austin Rivers today played the 33 minutes, only scored the six points, had the three assists. Campazzo played the 32 minutes, only had the eight points and five assists. So combined, they've only, they've only had the 14 points and combined, McCollum and Lillard have had the 55 points. So you're playing at a massive deficit at the guard position. And we, we said at the time when Jamal Murray went down that that was basically the end of Denver's season. Now, they battled manfully in the in the back half of the season, but unfortunately for them, I think they've drawn the worst possible matchup. They got Aaron Gordon across to them at that trade deadline, uh, at the trade deadline, because they they were worried about having some good defenders up against these wings. And then they draw a team with two really good guards, and they gave up Gary Harris to get rid of 
uh, sorry, to bring Aaron Gordon on board. Now, they, they would give their right arm at the moment to bring in Gary Harris, who's a really good guard defender. So it just hasn't bro- broken right for them, and you've got to feel a little bit f- sorry for them based on the fact that the, the injuries they've got to their guards. Yeah, absolutely. And as we mentioned, we thought it was probably they were going to be on a hiding to nothing, really, um, to to finish you know this playoff uh, series with any great success. And I think that they probably outdid themselves in that regular season. In the end, I just think it's going to be so hard for them with, you know, you just lose your second best player. I, I don't think any team in this entire playoffs, you know, if they lost their second best player, it's basically curtains for me, I think. So, you know, as you said, the matchup isn't ideal. The guard rotation so thin now for, for Denver. At least they have got Monte Morris back playing. He played, uh, I think it was about the 20 minutes today. So that's that's one positive, but they're going to need him to really step up, particularly offensively to, to you know, add some more scoring to this lineup because obviously Cam Parzo is obviously not a, you know, a score first player. Rivers can get hot at times, but, you know, the shooting's going to be a bit of a worry. So they need Monte Morris to really, you know, step up and, and play more minutes and potentially ever move into that starting lineup to, to sort of get some more uh, balance in the matchup against uh, Lillard and McCollum. But I think this series is going to be really tough for Denver, and it's obviously not a great start losing the first game at home. And I think they're going to, you know, really struggle to fight back, fight their way back into this. Now, when I was sort of doing a, a bit of uh, studying for this series last night, I had, I had written down in my notebook Portland 4-3, uh, I'm obviously still going to go with Portland, but it's probably shaken my confidence a little bit today in that in that uh, prediction there. So I'm going to end up going Portland in six. So they'll win four games to two. What about you, Caddy? How do you see this shaping up? Yeah, I think that's where I'd be sitting now as well is Portland in six. I think, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, um, you know, Denver win the next. If they, you know, if they could potentially steal a game back off Portland in Portland. But I think it, it inevitably if game six... Uh, will be a game in Portland. That'll be the game that the Portland Trailblazers should be able to close Denver out. I think, you know, De- Denver are good enough. Jokic will win a couple of games just on his own. That'll happen. But I just think in, over the course of seven games, that guard rotation is just far too thin to be able to match uh, these guys. And as we said, I think of all the teams, um, Portland do have a really solid uh, matchup for Jokic. And, and as you said, it's, it's, yeah, he's off to a pretty good start so far. So we'll now move on to the four-seeded uh, Clippers versus the fifth-seeded Dallas. Now, again, this game did take place today. But before before we talk about what happened today, we, we do have to touch on what the hell went on with the, with the Los Angeles Clippers in the last two games. So I mentioned last week I thought that they might be a chance to lose to OKC, and you scoffed at that, probably rightfully so, <laughs> given how bad OKC would be. But it, it panned out that way. So they lost their last two games to OKC and Houston. Now, the Absolute only reason that they were doing that was to try and avoid the Lakers, but they've they've outsmarted themselves, haven't they? Because they could have they could have won either one of those games. They would have finished in the third seed and taken on the Portland Trailblazers, which would have been a much better matchup than what they've now faced with against the Dallas Mavericks. So they played today and lost game one to the Dallas Mavericks, one thirteen to one hundred three. Now that's that's got to start to bring up some question marks. We saw what happened last year in the bubble with the Clippers, and and that had been the question mark on them all year. We weren't too concerned about what happened. Uh, with them throughout the season. We wanted to see how they were going to handle the playoffs. Well, the, they've basically failed the first test uh, so far, coming coming up short by 10 points in the first game. So what about you, Caddy? What, what did you think was going to be the biggest matchup, either after this game or heading into this series? Yeah, look, I think it's all going to be around Luka Doncic and then what you know defensive schemes that the Clippers can throw at him because you know we're expecting that Luka's going to have to take you know such a pivotal role. He obviously came out today, forty-one minutes straight out of the gate, so that's going to be uh, you know the sort of minutes he's going to be playing consistently. So it's what sort of defensive schemes can the Clippers throw at him? We saw the uh, the one I was interested in today was the thirty-two minutes they got out Nicholas Batum. So he obviously is a guy they're, they're trying to rely on a bit more for defense. You know they've 
got Patrick Beverly there. They're going to throw time. You know, Paul George is going to have to spend a fair bit of time in him as well. So, yeah, it's just trying to work out what the best yeah, best way to control Luke is going to be because if they can sort of get him under control, then I think Dallas just don't have enough, you know, depth outside of that to, to, to take the Clippers down in, in the seven-game series. So they really need to, you know, try and get – you know, leave uh, Luca on a really short leash here and not let him get away. And today, he obviously, came out 31 points. He did have the 24 shots to get there, but you know, he's just going to. That's the sort of um, output the usage he's going to be having. So, you know, it's what those schemes are that they can throw at him. You know, they have so many wings here in LA. You know, you go all the way through the lineup with Leonard Morris, uh, Marcus Morris, um, and then obviously the guard rotation with Beverly, you know, Rondo and Reggie Jackson. So, you know, I think defensively they've got they've got a few things to do, but it's all—it's going to be how can they contain him and, and get him under control, and they went off, obviously, off to a great start so far today. Yeah, that, that was a, that was the biggest matchup for me too, whether it was going to be. I wasn't sure who would take him. George spent a bit of time on him today. Leonard's probably going to go to him as well. So as you said there, they've got some really good wing defenders to throw at him. Beverly's a, a bit of a pain in the arse on the defensive end as well. Batum can also, you know, t- take some minutes on, on him. So you'd think... You know, eventually they're going to try and wear him down. So whether that happens in, in game one or whether it happens in game four or five, and we know how, how good Luca was last year. He averaged 31 points a game, 9.8 rebounds and 8.7 assists in his first go at the playoffs against this same team. So, yeah, they're, they're going to have to throw as many numbers and as many bodies as possible at Luca and try and slow him down. And as you said there, Luca's off to a, a fantastic start with the 31-point triple-double. He had the 31 points, 10 rebounds, 11 assists, the one steal, the two blocks. 11 from 24 from the field, so not too bad. Importantly, he shot 45% from three, uh, hitting five of 11 shots. His free throw shooting still disappointing, only hitting the four of the seven. But he, importantly for Doncic, in the 40 minutes, he was actually a plus 19. So that just illustrates how important Luka Doncic is to this team and, and how much it's crucial that if the Clippers want to advance in this really tough matchup for them, that they, they have to be able to keep Doncic uh, under as much control as possible. Now, the biggest question mark I had leading into this series, and it probably still remains so, despite the fact that they did actually come away with the win, was Kristaps Porzingis for the Dallas Mavericks. Now, it's probably got to be a positive for them that they've come away with a pretty comfortable 10-point victory, and Porzingis has only contributed the 14 points and four rebounds in, shot horribly, four of 13 from the field, only one from five from three. So I would think that for them... Despite the fact they were able to win uh, pretty comfortably, as I said, uh, without him contributing, I'd expect that if Dallas are going to be any chance to to get past the Clippers in this series, that they're going to need a really big series out of Porzingis. He's had, he's had a pretty underrated year. We've spoken about him over the last few weeks when we've addressed the Dallas Mavericks, and he was pretty good in last year's playoffs, averaging a tick under 24 points a game and the 8.7 rebounds. And importantly, last year in the three, he only played the three games because he got injured, but his shooting splits in those games at 52% from the field, 52% from three, and 87% from the line were obviously really good. And he, he was causing the Clippers some problems in that series until he got injured, and once he went down, it was probably a, a foregone conclusion that uh, the Clippers were going to get past the Mavericks. But he's the biggest question mark for me. Despite the fact he's had a poor game and Dallas has been able to win, I can't see Dallas being able to progress through this series without Porzingis having a big series. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same. He's the one that's you know so crucial. You know, the 36 minutes was the positive for me in this one for Porzingis. So if he can, as you said, if he can just stay on the court, he obviously hasn't. He, they don't rely on him. He doesn't have to score 20 to 25 points a game for them to be successful. But they do need him out there. They need him to stretch the floor, you know, help um, Luca, particularly in that pick and roll game, you know, and just that, you know, that long body, you know, that's really important in this Clippers matchup. And as you said, if he, if he does go down or miss a game, they're just they're just too 
shallow in this depth chart um, to really be able to do much more and, and proceed further. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to him standing up and, and, you know, really showing some some toughness and resilience and try and get through, you know, a full series and give this Dallas team every opportunity. This is what they built was, you know, Pazigas with that trade. They drafted Doncic, put them together and, you know, they're, they're not, you know, young kids anymore. They've, they've been in the league two, three, four, five years now between them. So they need to be able to come out and, and really take it to the Clippers. You know, we spoke last week about the, the LA Clippers and not trying to be too cute and um, flirting with your form. You just wonder, you know, they've took the foot off clearly those last couple of games and, you know, you then have to try and turn that on switch um, back going again. And they, you know, obviously have come out of the gates pretty slow here. So they, they don't have a lot of time now to pull this back together. Um, the next game is obviously crucial. It's important that they can square the series up before they head back to Dallas. So, you know, they definitely don't want to get into a zip two hole here because, you know, you, you can only imagine the question marks that are going to be coming the LA Clippers way if, if A, they go down um, to zip or even, um, God forbid, lose the series. So um, there's going to be a hell of a lot of pressure on them and they're going to have to turn this form around really quickly. Yeah, they go down to a. Uh, you, you're going to start seeing those articles about the fact that Kawhi Leonard's a free agent at the end of this season, and he, you know there's going to be some question marks throw out. So I totally agree. Game two is is massive. Interestingly, the stat that I saw before this game started was Dallas are actually 27 and, and zero after leading in, if they lead at quarter time of the game, which is incredible. And they they led at quarter time today, and now that takes their record to 28 and zero, which. In a game of basketball that ebbs and flows so much, that's an absolutely incredible stat. I think the the next best record was uh, six losses. Was uh, I don't even know who the second team was, but the next best team had six losses after they led at quarter time. So to have no losses after leading at tw- quarter time is incredible. So I guess what I'm saying is, if you can jump on sports bet when Dallas are up at quarter time, you're probably gonna probably gonna be better than bank interest caddy. Now after that game, did that sort of change your opinion on what what your prediction might be for the series? Um, look, I was definitely tipping the Clippers going into it, and I think I'm going to stick there. I just think there's just too much on the line for them um, to not be able to pull this together, and you know I'd expect a really sharp, swift turnaround in this next game, and and for them to eventually overcome uh, the Dallas Mavericks. I think you know obviously we've got the benefit of we, of this first game being played. I think now um, it might be a seven game series, and I'll still take the Clippers to get there in seven, but it's going to be you know hard work, and you know they're going to be a few nervous moments on the way through. I think. Yeah, initially, as I was doing the studying last night, I had Clippers in, in six, but I, I agree with you now. I'm going to shift that to seven. Just after you lose that that, that first game, it's, it's obviously going to be a bit of an uphill battle, but I think they've got the cattle, then they'll be able to get across the line in seven. So we'll shift over now to the east, and we've got uh, the first seeded, well, number one seed, Philadelphia 76ers versus the, the eight-seeded Washington Wizards, who beat the Indiana Pacers in that playing game quite convincingly to win that eight seed. Now, for you, Caddy, what did you think the biggest matchup in this series was? Yeah, well, it's going to be around these guards. You know, obviously for for Washington, they're going to be so heavily reliant on um, Beal and Westbrook. So, you know, we talked about all year the defensive strength of Philadelphia, particularly in that wing rotation. You've got Ben Simmons, Batiste Thibel there. So they're the two there, those that defensive um, perimeter players. What can they do to shut down uh, the Washington guards? Because, you know, the usage for those guys is going to be just incredibly off the charts. And um, I think they're going to have a pretty hard time of it against those Philly defenders. So, can Beal, can Westbrook um, be productive? Can they can they score at a reasonable percentage? Um, can they be efficient? They're going to have their their work cut out. So that's the the area of focus I've got in this series. Yeah, I agree. The the, the biggest matchup for me was Ben Simmons versus Russell Westbrook. Now, I, I'm not 100 percent sure that's how the matchup's going to go. But if I was Doc Rivers, I would just 
I would unleash Ben Simmons on Russell Westbrook. Now, you mentioned earlier in the podcast, you know, the the fact that uh, Washington were, were miles out of this and if it hadn't been a year where there was the plane type scenario, they might have sort of shut up shop and, and gone for draft picks. But it was Westbrook. Bradley Beal's been outstanding right throughout the year, but it was Westbrook who basically, not single-handedly, but he, he was the main catalyst for dragging them back into this playoff hunt. And, you know, we, we've been through his numbers at the 24 point. 24.5 points a game, uh, 13.1 rebounds, and the 14.7 assists in, in that last couple of months. And we saw in that in that playing win as well, the 18 points a game, uh, eight rebounds, a 15 assists. So he's, he's just such a heavy catalyst for the way they play. He's just relentless. He pushes the ball up the floor. And we know Ben Simmons is, you know, he, he, he was named as a, uh, in the final three for defensive play of the year. He's the best perimeter defender in the NBA. So if I was Doc Rivers, I'd unleash Ben Simmons onto Russell Westbrook, tell him to go all out on him, attack him, wear him out as much as possible. And if he can do that and limit Westbrook and make him as inefficient, as we know Russell Westbrook can be sometimes, he can just sort of get a bit too headstrong and, and try and win the game himself. And if Westbrook can wear him down and make life as difficult as possible, uh, for Westbrook, I think this will become a pretty easy series for Philadelphia. Yeah, no doubt. You know, that's you know they they're going to need you know big numbers from those guard spots for Washington, and I think for them it's probably the worst matchup possible. Probably to play Philadelphia, they're going to be well rested Philly, um, and I think they're going to make pretty light work of this series. Yeah, I agree. The biggest question was for me is, and and I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this, but can anybody slow down Joel Embiid? Now, he's had an MVP caliber season. Again, he, similar to Simmons, he, he was named in the top three uh, for the MVP, which is obviously no surprise. His numbers at 28.5 points a game, 10.6 rebounds are incredible. And, and Washington, they've got some numbers, that, uh, sorry, some bodies they can throw at him. Alex Len's been starting, so whether that continues or not, I'm not too sure. Maybe he does. He plays, you know, the first five or six minutes, minutes of every half and, and uses up some fouls. They've got Robin Lopez to come off the bench. Daniel Gafford, who had an incredible five blocks in that in that win over Indiana in that playing game. So they've got sort of a three-headed, wouldn't call it a monster, maybe a three-headed mouse caddy that they can throw at uh, that Embiid. But I, I can't imagine any of those three are going to have any impact on Joel Embiid. And, and I could see Embiid having a massive series. Yeah, I think we're going to see some Shaquille O'Neal-type stats from Joel Embiid in this series. With, I'm talking 30 point, 20 20 rebound type games potentially. Um, he's going to be an absolute beast. He'll, he'll feast on Alex Lynn. Um, you know, Gafford's obviously a young player who's, who's shown some, some you know, really good potential since he's come to Washington, particularly on the defensive end. But Embiid's on another level, and you know, I'm really expecting to see him go pretty crazy um, in what I think is going to be a pretty short uh, four game series here. All right, so you're predicting the sweep for Philadelphia. I just out of respect for – I know I mentioned that I'd, I'd expect Simmons to hound Westbrook, but just out of respect for the relentlessness of, relentlessness of Westbrook and Bradley Beal's scoring capabilities, I'm going to give them one game, similar to what you said uh, a couple of series ago. I think they'll probably get that maybe that game three, that their first home game win, and it'll be a short sort of four, five-game series, and Philly would win that 4-1. So we'll move on now to one of the other games that took place today was the second seed of Brooklyn Nets versus the seventh seeded Boston Celtics. Now, Brooklyn got over the line, the line today, 104-93. Interestingly, Boston were up by six points at halftime, and maybe some of those question marks started to come up about whether the, the big three had spent a, enough time together. Interestingly enough, that the starting five that started today in Harden, uh, KD, Irving, Blake Griffin and Joe Harris had never started a game together. So that, I thought that was interesting in, in a playoff game that, that those five guys had never started a game together. So what was the biggest matchup for you heading into this series, Caddy, uh, after today or maybe even what you thought before the series? 
Yeah, well, I think um, the, the big one for me is going to be around, um, again, probably the guard spot here. I, I'm expecting to see Marcus Smart spend a hell of a lot of time trying to guard Kyrie Irving and James Harden potentially. You know, he's going to have his work cut out for him. But probably that Irving, Marcus Smart, the former teammates going head-to-head. Marcus Smart, we know, is a really pesky defender, you know, really high will and um, work ethic, really, you know, a lot of self-belief as well. So he won't be a shrinking violet. He'll take it up to these uh, Brooklyn guards and, you know, certainly give him, you know, everything he's got. He had the 40 minutes today and he scored 17 points. So he's coming out okay. But then, you know, obviously on the other side of it, you've got 50 points combined out of Irving and Harden. That's before we even talk about Kevin Durant. So, you know, that that sort of offensive power that we're all expecting that Brooklyn were going to have was on full show again today. And, you know, I think, particularly Marcus Smart defensively he's going to have to have a really big series against you know particularly Kyrie Irving and James Harden so that that's the area of interest for me I think the wings you know Tatum versus Kevin Durant in a sense they don't really play the same position but they'll spend plenty of time guarding each other Um, they're probably the two you know the big star from Boston the young star in Tatum and then Kevin Durant but I think Tatum in particular they're just that body short without Jalen Brown now so they're going to find it really difficult to come up against this Brooklyn outfit yeah, so, so so that guard matchup is interesting. We saw Smart today spent most of his time guarding Harden, but he was too quick to to give up on, on the switch. So Thompson would come out, uh, sorry, Blake Griffin would come out and, and set a pick for him, and and he Smart would just switch straight away. And, and Tristan Thompson was left on an island against James Harden a number of times, and there was just no urgency for for Marcus Smart to fight through that pick. It was just a simple, oh yeah, I'll give it up and and we'll switch straight away. I I understand. All teams now play a switching defense, but there's got to be some sort of urgency for Smart to fight through the the, the Griffin pick and not give it up so easily, and just leave Thompson on an island because he's got absolutely no chance against Harden. Well, despite the fact Harden really didn't have a massive game, he was just sort of coasting from from the parts of the game that I saw. So, I, I would expect Smart to to show a bit more intensity on that defensive end. For me, the biggest matchup was. Uh, what you did mention there in Tatum versus Durant, they spent a lot of time each other on each other today, and Tatum Tatum come up a little bit short. Unfortunately, he was only six of twenty from the field, and I think he hit his first three shots. So he really struggled after starting the game well early. So Durant's you know the best defender on Brooklyn, so he's going to take the toughest matchup, which is clearly Jason Tatum, as you mentioned with. Uh, Jalen Brown going down. It, it, it really leaves a lot for Jason Tatum to do. He's going to have to be their best offensive player. And then, unfortunately for him as well, he's going to have to come up against one of the, the best offensive players uh, ever in the history of the game in Kevin Durant on the defensive end as well. So Durant was really good today, 32 points and 12 rebounds. Probably not as efficient as, we, as we've come to expect. Hit the 10 from 25 from the field, only one from eight from, from three. So that was probably the area that he, let, that he let himself down in. But... I'm really interested to see. I'm not expecting this to be a long series, but I think it could be really good for Jason Tatum to shoulder such a heavy burden on both the offensive and defensive end. And it's going to be really good grounding for him coming up against a player of Kevin Durant's quality. Yeah, absolutely. And look, you know, for a young player like Tatum, he has got quite a lot of playoff chops. We, you know, remember a few years ago where you know he was almost in his second, I think his second season. He um, played a really you know incredible series for Boston against LeBron James. So I think. No, he's got the experience. Um, I just don't think he's going to have enough support um, in this particular series. So for me, the interesting thing is really just watching these three stars um, come back together, Harden, Durant, Irving, and, and get some reps here uh, because it's going to be obviously so crucial that they can they can gel together uh, for a really sustained playoff run. I think unfortunately for them, they're not going to get uh, too many games here. I think it's going to get again a, going to be a pretty short series. So ideally for them, they probably would have liked to get you know six or seven games in to continue to 
to build uh, what they're doing. But I, I've got a funny feeling this, uh, this series could be over in, in four as well. Pretty swift work um, for Brooklyn when they get their act together. And um, obviously, you know, the Celtics came out of the blocks, you know, really well today and we're, we're playing well. But, you know, I just think there's just too much class at the other end and too many scoring options in particular. I think they'll be really pleased Brooklyn they were able to hold Boston to the 93 points. You know, we obviously talk about defense uh, being a problem for them, but they've kept Boston to 37% from the field today, uh, which is a really good start for them defensively. So, yeah, I think watching these three superstars get back together, how does Blake Griffins and Jeff Green and these guys support? Um, I think they've got the right mix there. And, um, yeah, I think a, a really short four-game series again for me. Yeah, so I've picked Boston in uh, sorry, Brooklyn, Boston. Fit Brooklyn in five. I, maybe they'll they'll sort of get one game somewhere. Tatum has one of that massive games, um, one of those massive games that we saw saw him have in that first playing game when he went for fifty points. He's certainly capable of doing that. It's obviously going to be a much tougher proposition against this Brooklyn Nets team. Interestingly, you've spoken about the fact that Tatum doesn't have a lot of you know scoring around him. Now, the three guys that you could see capable of putting points on the board are Evan Fournier, Jason Tatum, and Kemba Walker. Well, Fournier today today was 3 of 10. Tatum, I've spoken about, 6 for 20. And Kemba Walker, 5 of 16. So 30% from the field, 30% and 31%. So that's obviously not going to cut it against such a powerhouse uh, Brooklyn team. The biggest question for me was the fact that have the big three played enough minutes together if the going does get tough? Have they, have they got those repetitions? They've only played the 202 minutes together right throughout the season. But as you mentioned, I, I can't imagine they're going to be challenged too much. And, yeah, I agree, it's going to be a very short series and a 4-1 result uh, was my prediction. Moving on to the the 3-6 series, the Milwaukee versus Miami series. Now, this is uh, another one of those series that kicked off today in what what was a very good game. And just before we do touch on what happened today and this series, now, I, I went pretty strongly last week that I thought Milwaukee pulled the wrong rein in, in beating Miami in that second last game of the year to ensure that uh, they would play Miami in the first round. And nothing I've seen so far has changed my opinion on that. And it's going to be an extremely tough road for Milwaukee to get through the East now. So if they get past Miami, their next opponent's going to be Brooklyn. And if they can somehow get past Brooklyn, their last opponent, if everything sort of falls away, you'd expect it to, would, will be Philadelphia. So that's an incredibly tough run through the Eastern Conference. And then obviously to win the title, which is ultimately what they want to do, they're going to have to come up against a really strong West team as well. So they're going to be faced with absolutely no doubt the toughest run of any team in the playoffs to, to win, obviously, that championship. So based on the fact that that, that has sort of fallen that way, do are you softening a little bit on that stance I took last week that they should have maybe given that game up against Miami and come up against an Atlanta or a New York? Yeah, look, possibly. I mean, looking down the Western Conference matchups, I mean, this is obviously the one that stands out as as a risky, uh, a risky series, particularly from the Milwaukee side of things. We saw what Miami were able to do last year in the playoffs, and then you know they've finally been able to get you know the majority of this roster back and fit at the right time. So you know, look, there is a, a real danger here for Milwaukee, and they've had the you know the the big scare again today, um, having to take that game into overtime. But you know. Lucky for them, they were, they were good enough to, to hold it out. Look, I still think um, when all things are said and done, they're going to be too good for uh, Miami. They should be able to progress. But I think, as you said, that you know going into the next series, which we think will be against Brooklyn, you know that's a pretty tough second round Eastern Conference matchup. So um, they're going to have to do it the hard way. And you know we've had question marks in the past about their fortitude in the playoffs, and you know particularly around Giannis and, and how he can stand up and, and contribute. I mean, he's 
I don't think he had a great game today. He had the 26 points, but on 27 field goal attempts, uh, which is a really, really high number, quite inefficient. He did have the 18 rebounds as well. But, you know, in an overtime game, they're all playing pretty bulk uh, minutes here. So I don't think ideally for Milwaukee, it's what they would have liked today, uh, having to uh, send that first game into overtime. But, you know, I think, you know, we can't underestimate at any stage uh, this Miami Heat team and what they potentially are capable of. So, so just touching on that game, as you mentioned there, Milwaukee were able to get over the line in overtime, 109 to 107. So at the end of regulation, Butler was able to drive past Giannis and, and hit a layup to, as time expired to send it to overtime. And then we saw Chris Middleton uh, hit, hit, hit the game-winning jumper uh, late in, in overtime period to get him across the line. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. But for you, Caddy, what do you think the biggest matchup in this series is? Uh, for me, it's Jimmy Butler and Chris Middleton, the two guys you mentioned. I expect them to spend a hell of a lot of time guarding each other at each end of the court. So, you know, Jimmy Butler's obviously so important. Um, you put him in your second All-NBA team. He's an incredible uh, player, incredible leader. Um, they're going to be really relying on him for to, to really, you know, help guide them through this matchup. And if he can, you know, not, not just break even with Middleton, he's going to have to have a better series. And, you know, he hasn't been able to start off that well today. His shooting performance is really ordinary, four from 22 uh, from the field today, he's just going to have to improve a hell of a lot on that. But to think he's had that type of shooting game and Miami have been able to take that into overtime shows how much depth they do have around him. But I think that Butler Middleton, you know, both have been all stars in the past. Middleton probably more the second banana to Giannis, whereas Butler's probably the team leader for Miami. Uh, but I think that's probably the crucial matchup at the small forward position. Well, that was the exact matchup that I wrote down last night when I when I was going through this. And interestingly enough, now I didn't watch this game because it started at ridiculous three a.m. I think it was our time. Now I have been known to get up at, at that time to watch games, but I I didn't do it today. But I did watch quite a few of the highlights. And what what was interesting for me is that they didn't really spend much time on each other at all, which I thought was a real surpri- surprise. Now Giannis looked like he took a bulk of the minutes on that Butler matchup, which was surprising for me because Giannis usually likes to take that secondary or third. Uh, de- uh, offensive threat and sort of play as a, as a roving defender, but he he took Butler in a, in a lot of those matchups and and Butler on the other end didn't spend much time at Middleton at all. Uh, he was on Giannis and also spent a lot of time on Drew Holiday. And I said I wanted to mention that, that game when he shot the Middleton hit. Now everybody, now, don't get me wrong, Eric Spolstra is one of the best coaches in the NBA, hands down. We know that, but I think everybody knows that if there's one shot game on the line. Nine times out of ten, Chris Middleton's going to be the guy taking that shot. Now, Duncan Robinson was guarding uh, Middleton on that play, and Butler was off the side guarding Drew Holiday. I found that staggering. Surely you put your best defender, one of the best defenders in the NBA, Jimmy Butler, on Middleton and make him hit a tough shot over one of the best defenders in the NBA. Was was that a bit of a surprise to you that uh, Duncan Robinson was on Middleton in the biggest shot of the game? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, I don't think they would have expected the ball really even to find the hands of Giannis on that last play. So you would have thought, you know, the offense was going to run through Middleton there. And as you said, you know, Butler's their, their number one defender, you know, in that sort of wing position. So, yeah, I, you would have, I think that's a real big win for Milwaukee to be able to get an isolation against Duncan Robinson, who we know is a, a good trier on the defensive end, but he's certainly not at the same level um, or anywhere near it of, of, of Jimmy Butler. So they'd want to, you know, get some of those rotations fixed before the next game because, you know, they're obviously now one behind and they need to, you know, try and probably level the series up if they can before they do head to Miami. But, um, you know, really 
as I said, an honest performance today to be able to take them uh, to overtime when collectively they've shot 36% from the field <laughs> is a pretty good effort. So I'm interested to see how this series continues because I think of all the playoff series across both conferences, this is clearly the, the best one for me. Probably only challenged a little bit by the Lakers' Sun series, but this one's a beauty. It's, it certainly is. And, yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to see if Butler does spend a little bit more time on Middleton. As I said, he spent... Uh, chunks on Giannis and, and from what I could see from the highlights Drew Holiday as well and Holiday had a had a pretty good game and you see the different the difference it makes now that uh, the Bucks have got Drew Holiday as, a, as opposed to uh, opposed to Eric Bledslow who had come up empty for them in a number of playoff series so it obviously makes them a much better team the biggest question I had heading into this series was how were Miami going to guard Giannis now I said there Butler played you know, some good minutes on him. Trevor Reza played some minutes on him as well. We saw in last year's playoffs, Miami were really effective at setting up at wall and not allowing Giannis to get into the paint. Jay Crowder was very physical and didn't allow that. Now, the the concern I had from a Miami perspective was the fact that Jay Crowder, you know, obviously no longer with Miami and would they struggle to be able to contain Giannis? And going off that first game, you said Giannis wasn't terribly efficient and that's true. He he, but he still put up some decent numbers of 26 points and 18 rebounds, but the 10 from the 27 from the field. So it's interesting. Both teams are probably looking at this first game, and you mentioned the fact that uh, Butler was 4 from 22 from the field, and Bam Adebayo, their second-best player, was only 4 for 15. So they've shot a collective, what's that, 8 of 37 from the field, and they've gone down in overtime by two points. So Miami are probably looking at that going, well, we can't we can't get much worse than that on the offensive end from two of our best offensive players, but then Milwaukee, Milwaukee conversely, are probably looking at Giannis and going, well, he's probably going to be better than ten from twenty seven from the field. So this is such an evenly matched match series. Uh, and last night when I was going through it all, I, I settled on Milwaukee in seven, and from there was nothing to suggest from what I saw today to change my mind. I think this is going to go the distance, and I think Milwaukee will eke it out in the end just because they've they've got that that extra number now in Drew Holiday that they can trust at the end of the game, and I think that's probably going to sway the, the balance to them as opposed to what we saw last season. Yeah, absolutely. I was probably more bullish heading into this series around the Bucks being able to to take care of business quite comfortably, but after today that. I do have a bit more doubt around that. I mean, the interesting thing I've been watching in this playoff series is Giannis's efficiency at the free throw line. We saw him get to the line today 13 times. He's only hit six of those. Uh, that's a bit of a worry because that, that'll be obviously another another tool that Miami are going to be able to use to get him onto the line. Don't let him, you know, even take the shots inside the paint, take the foul, throw, throw fouls at him as much as possible because six of 13, he needs to improve that, you know, as, as this series continues and even if they want to progress further on, he needs yeah. to get that up you know, into that 70% range, I would have thought. There was also the incredible call that Giannis was called for taking too long to shoot a free throw late in that fourth fourth quarter, and he actually hit it. So so the, the referee blew the whistle just as he was about to shoot it because he took longer than, I think it's 10 seconds you're allowed to have. And Coach Bud rightfully went off his tits because, yeah, okay, he, 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 he certainly took longer than the 10 seconds, but I can't really even remember that, that ever being called and to call it in such a crucial close game and the fact that he nailed it and they didn't get that point that that was that was unbelievable so I totally agree Giannis had had him, he had improved his free throw shooting in the back half of the year but he's certainly got to be got to be better um, at the line than, than what he dished up today so what did sorry what did you end up settling on Milwaukee in how many yeah I'll go Milwaukee in seven I think initially I thought they could get there in five but I think today uh, Miami are going to be able to you know take some games off them they're, they're deep enough they've got enough talent um, and I think they've got some improvement left but I think in the end the extra home court game the one the fact they've got the one nil lead um, I'll take Milwaukee in the seven games
So moving on to the last playoff series in the East, and probably the the most surprising one at the start of the year, if, if anyone had told you that the the four five matchup in the East would be New York versus Atlanta, I don't think anybody would have believed that. And throughout the year, New York sort of ha- had the wood over Atlanta, winning the series uh, matchup three zero. Uh, now heading into into this uh, series, Caddy, what was the biggest matchup for you? There's obviously a, a question mark realistically over both of these teams. We we've seen New York struggle to make the playoffs for for quite a while, and Atlanta had a really good run. Uh, when they had Joe Johnson and those guys together, but they've obviously struggled for the last couple of seasons. So, for you heading into this series, what was the biggest matchup? Well, I think the the key to the ma- the key to the series is going to be containing Trey Young. So, I think for the New York side of things, it's about you know what what matchups can they come up with to to, to take him out of the game? Because I think if Trey Young can get on a roll and really feel himself in this series, and you know he's the sort of play we think you know could be built for this type of stage, um, he could just you know build that momentum all the way through. And you know, I think playing in the garden. For him, something that's not going to worry him, he'll be really um, energised by doing that. So for the New York Knicks to be able to have a, a really solid guard rotation in place, to be able to, you know, be able to at least limit Trey Young's uh, efficiency, we know he's going to take a hell of a lot of shots and he's going to probably, at, at times, try and overdo it too much. But if they can, yeah, hold him defensively, keep his efficiency down, you know, I think the Knicks, you know, will, should win this series um, reasonably comfortably if they can control Trey Young. If he gets off the leash... And anything can happen, and the, the Hawks are going to be, you know, right in the thick of it, and, and a real chance to potentially cause what I think would would be an upset and, and go through. So, how do the Knicks uh, contain Young? Can they put him under pressure, make him take shots that you know that that, that aren't the right ones really in the in the team offense, and, and put him under extreme pressure? And I think you know, I think there's enough guards in that New York rotation and, and bodies there to be able to throw him to do it. Yeah, so Trey Young was the biggest question mark I had leading in this series. As you said there, we we haven't seen him, obviously, in, in a playoff scenario. He's got one of those games. You, you said there the the big lights at Madison Square Garden won't worry him. Now, interesting, the, the numbers, he's had a bit of an underrated season this year, hasn't he, Trey Young, at the 25.3 points a game and 9.4 assists. And he pretty much hasn't really been spoken about for any of these All-NBA uh, spots, or he didn't make the, the the all star team, so he's he's flown a little bit under the under the radar, despite the fact that Atlanta have uh, made that fifth seed. Now, the biggest question mark I've got for him is the fact that he averages eight point seven three free throws a game. Now, we've seen some of these guys that rely heavily on draw, drawing these ticky tack uh, fouls. You know, James Harden certainly the the name that springs to mind. You don't get those calls a lot of the time in the playoffs now, so that's going to be the interesting one for me. You'd imagine New Yorker, who have been excellent on the defensive end right throughout the year, they're going to be really physical with Trey Young, and he he shoots those threes and kicks his legs out, and he gets as I said those let's call it what they are they're those bullshit fouls, and I think Steve Nash even come out earlier on in the season and said that what Trey Young does is isn't isn't basketball, so that's the biggest question mark for me. Can Trey will Trey Young be distracted or thrown off his game? by the way he's refereed, and if he's not getting those close to nine free throws a game, can he still produce at a high enough level to carry Atlanta uh, to a series win? The other interesting thing for me from Atlanta perspective is you'd you'd think there's probably a strong possibility that their starting five will be Trey Young, Bogdanovich, DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, and Clint Compella. Now, those five guys have only played a total of 16 minutes all season together. Obviously, Hunter's been out for a long period of time. You know, Bogdanovich missed some... Uh, a fair chunk of the season early on. You know, Trey Young's missed some games. Uh, so so those five guys haven't been able to build any chemistry or continuity together. So going into a playoff series with those five guys, as I said, I'd imagine that would be their starting five. But the fact they haven't played much basketball together could be a bit of a question mark. But for me, the biggest matchup of the series is, is Julius Randle, who we've, we've spoken about a number of times over the last few weeks at, 
about the season he's had versus who I, I think will guard him is DeAndre Hunter. Now, uh, Julius Randle had his way with Atlanta th- throughout the year. He averaged 37 points per game against Atlanta and was obviously the main reason they were able to get that 3-0 uh, ledger against Atlanta throughout the season. But uh, Hunter did only play in one of those games. So as I said, he missed a, a large portion of the season, that back half of the season with an injury. He's back in the rotation now. He was having a really good season before he went out on the offensive end, uh, averaging the 15 points a game, and, and he'd lifted his... Uh, He's field goal percentage up to the 48%, but he's a really versatile defender, and I think he's the number one option to go to Julius Randle and the only one that's probably going to have any chance of trying to slow him down because John Collins on the defensive end isn't good enough to slow Julius Randle down. So I think for Atlanta to be any chance in this series, DeAndre Hunter has to have a big uh, series on the defensive end. Yeah, well, I mean, the interesting um, part I'm watching in this series for me is Julius Randle, and can he contribute at the level he has, you know, particularly in the back half of this season, or really all the way through, he's been terrific. So can he show us that he is that all-NBA type player that we think he's been able to turn himself into? He's got the opportunity now in a playoff series where they've got, you know, the home court advantage, and, and they're going to, uh, so, so I understand, get about a 15,000 crowd into Madison Square Garden these first two games. So the place is going to be buzzing. And, you know, can Julius Randle stand up and be the man in New York is what I'm I'm looking to see. And, He's got that opportunity right there in front of him, and it's the the type of stage you know any up and coming star would would love. And you know, I think between Randall and then Young on the other side, you know, whoever can you know really elevate their game um, in this big stage, you know, might be able to get their their team across in this series. Yeah, I think this is going to be a cracking series. Very two very evenly matched teams. I ended up going slightly with Atlanta, so I think they'll win it in seven games. I just think they've got a little bit too much uh, offensive firepower for the for New York, despite the fact the Knicks have played some outstanding defense right throughout the season. If Young can produce at or close to the levels he's done, done throughout the season, Bogdanovich has had a, a fantastic second half of the wow. year. They've got Hunter back in the lineup. John Collins is a fantastic offensive uh, player. Clint, Clint Capella's been huge for them right throughout the year. So I just think they've got a few more weapons than what the Knicks have. And ultimately, I think that'll get them across the line, despite the fact that obviously New York have home court advantage and I'm predicting Atlanta to win in seven, meaning they'll have to win at Madison Square Garden in that last game. But that, that's a scenario I can see uh, Trey Young and Bogdanovich, who's played some really big games uh, for his country, really relishing. Yeah, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to zag here and I'm going to go the Knicks in seven. I think, yeah, that home court advantage might just pay for itself in the end. I, I think this series as well is going to be a cracker. You know, two teams, as you mentioned, we didn't probably foresee being in this uh, position. Um, but, you know, a really, some really exciting players on, on both sides of the floor. But I think the Knicks in seven, a bit more experience on this Knicks team, albeit, you know, not so much from a New York playoff perspective, but there's guys up and down the roster that have been in big situations before. And I think in the end, that'll be enough to, to see them get through to the second round. And we didn't even mention Derek Rose, who obviously for, for New York to progress, as, as you're predicting, will obviously have to have a massive uh, impact and series off the bench for them. So we'll call it there, Caddy. It's, again, one of these long ones, but it's playoff basketball, and we're obviously very excited about that. Now, next week, these series will be sort of midway, or some of them might be wrapping up, so we'll be able to dig a little bit more into those series once we've got a bit more evidence on the table. But it's obviously going to be exciting next sort of couple of months. The the NBI playoffs end up going for a couple of months, so certainly some really quality basketball coming over the next couple of months, and we can't wait to talk about that. As I say every week, uh, thanks to everybody who continues to download the podcast. Please jump on Apple Podcasts if you haven't as yet. 
tap that five-star rating for us. It helps us spread the word and also jump on our Facebook page and like that and that's where we uh, post all these episodes for you to listen to. Until then, we'll speak to you next week.